Welcome to RV Out West. I'm your host, Brooks. My family of fours base camp is located in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, and our RV adventures radiate out from there. Please grab a mug of coffee and join us as we discuss RVing around the American West. From sweet camping spots, gear and equipment, to tips and tricks, we've got you covered. We are RV Out West. Joining me today is Chris Ronan, the Senior Public Relations Manager of Geocaching HQ located here in Seattle, Washington. I'm really excited to speak with Chris because geocaching is something that uh, my family has done and I've done with my children. And I'm looking forward to just uh, having a conversation about geocaching. So Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. So first off, uh, for any listeners who are not familiar with geocaching, can you just kind of start out and tell me a little bit about what is geocaching? Sure. So geocaching is essentially a high-tech game of hide-and-seek. Uh, participants place a container, which is called a geocache, somewhere in the real world, and then they post the coordinates of the location and details about the geocache through geocaching.com. And then other players use the geocaching app or geocaching.com uh, to find the container. Once they have found the container, they sign a logbook that is located inside the container, rehide it, and then uh, use the app or the website to share a story about their experience. Geocaching has been around a very long time. So can you kind of give me a brief history of geocaching? Sure. Uh, geocaching started in the year 2000, and that was when the U.S. government effectively descrambled consumer GPS signals with the flip of a few switches. And so those consumer GPS devices were instantly 10 times more accurate than they had been the previous day. So all of a sudden you could get a location accurate to within 10 to 20 feet. And so there was a man in Oregon named Dave Ulmer who wanted to test the accuracy of these GPS devices. He hit a container, he marked the coordinates, he shared the information online, and then challenged somebody to find it. And three days later, somebody did. And so that was the start of geocaching. And a few months later, Jeremy Irish, who is one of the founders of, of Geocaching HQ, he launched geocaching.com. At the time, there were 75 geocache locations around the world listed on our website. And now, you know, it's been uh, almost 22 years later, there are roughly 3.3 million geocaches around the world. So tell me what was in that first cache? The legend is there was a, a can of beans in there and yeah, just a couple other trinket type things is That's all that funny. it was. Yeah. So tell me a great story about geocaching. One of my favorite things that comes to mind, because I was just mentioning Jeremy Irish, one of our co-founders, another one of the co-founders is Brian Roth. And Brian actually met his wife at a geocaching event. You, you hear stories about this, about people either meeting each other through geocaching or they get married at, an, at, at a geocaching event. And, and in this case, Brian and his wife met at this event and they host an event every five years or so to mark the anniversary, you know, to celebrate having met each other with other geocachers. So, you know, it's, it's, it's fun stories like that. It's a very community-based game. That's one of the really neat things is seeing people connect through this game, uh, through these shared experiences. If I go to another country, which I have, I remember one time I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil, 
and I was looking for a geocache and I saw these couple of kids, they were probably teenagers, 13, 14 years old, seemed like they were in the same location. They were speaking Portuguese, I was speaking English, but we were able to figure out that we were both there trying to find the geocache. And so we had this shared experience of trying to find it together and, and uh, just kind of realizing we were part of this game that no one else around us knew what we were doing, but, uh, but we got to have that experience together, which was, which was really neat. What a fun experience to have with just random people on the street kind of thing. You had mentioned the geocaching events. Can you tell me a little bit more about kind of what are these events? Sure. So geocaching events can range from very simple meet and greet type things. And, and those happen fairly regularly, especially in, a, in an area like, you know, we're based here in Seattle. In Seattle, there's almost always going to be at least one geocache event somewhere during the week in the Seattle area. What would you say is a common misconception about geocaching? I think if if there was one, it might be that some people refer to it as a treasure hunt and they then think that maybe there's something really valuable inside these geocaches and that would not be generally accurate. I have found over 30,000 geocaches and probably the most valuable thing I found was a $1 bill a couple of times <laughs> or a nickel or a couple quarters or something. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's happy meal toys or it's little plastic uh, trinkets. Yeah. Or what plastic I've found. trinkets. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very, it's very family friendly stuff. And, and that's why kids often really enjoy it because they like going through some of, if there's a larger geocache container, sometimes it'll it'll have those trinkets so they can maybe trade for something. I know my nieces and nephew have, have enjoyed doing that. So I would say that that's probably a misconception. And then from some of the earlier days, like back when the game first started, you really needed a dedicated GPS device to be able to play. And this was before the smartphones uh, proliferated the world. And now you can play it right on your phone with an app. So I think there might be some folks that still think that you need expensive equipment or, or what have you. And, and that certainly is not the case anymore. Share with me an important lesson that geocaching has taught you. An important lesson for me has just been that there are some really neat places very close to me that I might not know about if it wasn't for geocaching. I know when I first started playing the game, uh, I, I grew up in the Kansas City area and I moved here to Seattle about eight years ago when I came to work for HQ. But I had been a geocacher for a number of years before I came here. And what I found myself learning, even though I'd grown up in the city and I thought I knew it really, really well, I would go to find geocaches and they would take me to a neighborhood or to a viewpoint or just to something that I never would have known was there before because it wasn't in my regular stomping grounds. And it wasn't in, you know, because a lot of us tend to get into a routine and we go to work a certain way, or we go to the places that we like to go a certain way. And we don't vent, we don't veer from that very often, but if you do veer from it, and I think your audience being uh, folks that probably spend a lot of their time veering off into different locations, yeah. will understand what I'm saying here. Once you veer off of your usual routine, you, you, you tend to discover some places that you, you never knew were there before. And it's really eye-opening. And, and so I think that's probably the biggest lesson for me has just been to 
uh, open yourself up to new experiences and new places. And geocaching has been something that's helped me discover those places without using a guidebook. I just plug in a geocache and go to it. And then I like, wow, I never knew this was here. This is really cool. That makes a lot of sense. That's actually pretty fun. So then on that note, uh, what are your three favorite caches you've ever found? Oh my gosh. My three, my three favorite caches. The, the one that comes to mind first for me is always when I was in Hawaii one time, uh, going to the summit of Mauna Kea. And uh, there's not a physical cache on the top of the mountain, but there is an, what's called an earth cache. And so an earth cache is, uh, earth, earth caching is a partnership between Geocaching HQ and the Geological Society of America. And an earth cache takes you to a location where you learn an earth science lesson of some sort. And you answer questions. And when you answer the questions, that's how you log your find, quote unquote. And there is an earth cache on the top of Mount Kea. I was there at sunset and it was just absolutely spectacular. I don't know that I would have gone up there if it wasn't for geocaching, because usually you go to Hawaii and you think about beaches and it was just amazing. And then be, it's, it's hard because I've found so many. Um, I mean, just this weekend, I went hiking with, uh, with a friend north of Seattle and there's a place called Pilchuck Glass School. I don't yes. know if you've ever heard of it. You, you I have. It. I've been to the, in August, they opened the school up. Did you oh, you've know you've actually that? been there. I've been there. So I grew up on Camino Island. Okay. And so okay. Um, as a kid, they open up the Pilchuck Glass School. I believe it's in August for one week to the public. And all the artists are there. They've got all their different pieces of glass work that they've done. And then you can go and like walk around the school and it's an open house is the best way to put it. Well, I'm glad I mentioned that then because I. It's so I, cool up there. I didn't actually get to go to the school because you have to have an appointment to go to it, but there are miles of hiking trails yep. on the property there and there are some geocaches. And so, uh, so I went up there and with a friend and, and we went hiking around and the geocache that we were focused most on was, was this, it took you to this viewpoint with a sculpture there that just seems very randomly placed. You just I've wonder, been there. I've been to really? that sculpture. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so you know yep. exactly what I'm talking yep. about. It's got this it's amazing, amazing view of Puget Sound and the Olympic Mountains off in the distance and this really cool sculpture. Um, and so, again, it was like, I don't know that I ever would have thought to, to go to this place if, if it wasn't for that. And now that I've talked to you, I want to make yeah, a go note to check out that open house if they still have it. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I interrupt. But now that was no, two. No, that, so you got so Pilchuck. Um, the, another one that comes to mind for me, it wasn't even that great of a geocache to be honest, but, uh, I was in Germany maybe three or four years ago before the pandemic and, uh, someone who lived in Munich, a, a friend was taking me around to find some geocaches, I don't know, within an hour or so of Munich. And it got to be about two o'clock in the afternoon or three o'clock. And, and he said, have, have you ever been to Italy? And I I said, no, but why are you asking? And he said, well, do you want to go? And I have no, I had no sense of how far we were from Italy or how I, I know things are somewhat close together in Europe sometimes, but even so I was a little taken aback. And I said, I guess, I mean, I don't want to get back at two in the morning or something. He said, oh no, no, I'll have you back at the hotel by 
10 or 11 o'clock, but if you want to go to Italy, we can go. And so sure enough, within, I don't know how long it, it wasn't, it was within a couple hours. We were, we just got barely over the border, found a geocache in Italy. I can say I've been to Italy now. Again, it's, it wasn't so much about the, in that case, it wasn't so much about even the, the location as those other two were that I mentioned. It was just the experience. It was just someone that I was geocaching with said, hey, do you want to do this cool thing? And it was the spontaneity of it all that geocaching yeah. brings. And That's cool. Yeah. And so it just, it took me to a, a nice location. And yeah, it was just kind of an experience that it was certainly very memorable. So can you explain to our listeners kind of the various different types of caches that they could maybe expect to find in the wild? Right. So yeah, as far as sizes go, it, it can vary between what are known as nano or micro geocaches. And, and those can be the size of a thumbnail. I mean, very small little containers, just big enough to hold a sheet of paper all the way up to, I've, I've, haven't seen it myself, but I've seen photos of people that have repurposed those huge shipping containers. They will repurpose those as a geocache. So it really is only limited by the creativity that people have. And what we have found is that the creativity is pretty boundless. I still find things, even after I've been playing the game now for almost 11 years, I still find things that I've never seen before, which is really cool to me that now mostly I'm, I'm finding stuff where I say, yeah, I've seen that sort of a thing. But just this weekend, I found something where I was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen somebody do this before. It was really cool. And then there are different, what we call cache types. So most, which, which isn't about size. It's, it's, it's about the kind of experience that you're going to have. So most geocaches are what are known as traditional geocaches. They are at the location that is listed on the geocache page on the app or the website. And it's just a, a traditional container of some sort. But there are also mystery caches, which generally require you to solve a puzzle of some sort in order to learn the, the coordinates where the geocache will be located. There are earth caches, like I spoke of before, that are some sort of a earth science lesson. There are multi-caches. And a, a multi-cache is something where you you will go to two or more uh, stages and gather information that will eventually direct you to whatever the final location is. So, and there are others, but those are some of the more, uh, the more common ones. Um, so there are a variety of different kinds of experiences that you're gonna have, not just uh, related to the size of a geocache or what kind of a container it's going to be, but also the experience that will lead you to that location and that container. So then what's the proper etiquette once you find a cache? What am I kind of, there's got to be rule, not rules, but just etiquette or kind of, so you're not messing the game up for those who come after you, right? It's that whole leave no trace, I'm sure, but. Right, right. So yeah, the, the, the main rule is to sign the log sheet and then rehide the cache the way that you found it. If you're going to take something, leave something of equal or lesser value. So, you know, again, if you find a Happy Meal toy, you know, leave something else that you think is close to being as cool as a Happy Meal toy. It's pretty simple. And, you know, really just trying to be aware of, again, if there are people around who aren't geocachers, I mean, don't broadcast that, hey, here's this thing here and leave it open for everybody to see, you know. And if you, if you see a problem with the geocache, if the 
if the log book is in bad shape, if it's wet, if it's, or if it's something's broken or missing, you can say something about that in your log on, when you log it on the website or on the app. Uh, we also have log types. Found it is the most common log type, but there's also one that's called needs maintenance. And that, le that lets the cash owner know that there's something that may, they, may, they may need to take a look at. Those are kind of the, you know, the basics of it. Now, trackables. I've never found a trackable yet. Hmm. For the listeners, let's just briefly explain what is a trackable and then how would I know if I found one and what am I supposed to do next with it once I find one? Yeah, so trackables are physical game pieces that move from geocache to geocache. And each of them has a code on it that allows you to look it up using the app or the website. So, and usually it's like a metal tag or, and, and they can be much more creative than that. I mean, there are actually people that have gotten tattoos with a, a geocaching trackable code on themselves. And so there are actually human tattoo trackables, which is amazing. Um, so, so there are a wide variety, but, but the very basic one is just, uh, a, a tag of some sort that has a, 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 a unique uh, alphanumeric code. And you can type that code into the app or the website. It'll bring up the page for that trackable, which will tell you if it has a mission of some sort. So a person could put a trackable out in the world, put it in a geocache and say, for in, like say, put it in a geocache in Seattle and say, I want this trackable to go to Key West, Florida, for instance. And a person, if they came to that geocache and found that trackable, they would see, oh, it wants to go to Key West. I'm going to Arizona next week. That'll get it closer. And so if you find a, a trackable that is going somewhere you're going to be going or it's gonna, you're going in that direction, if you can help it along in its mission, then cool. And then there are other trackables where people just give it a mission of, I just want it to travel. I just want it to go around and post pictures of where you take it or whatever, that sort of thing. So yeah, it's kind of a cool little side game part of geocaching. Has there ever been a trackable that's made it to Antarctica? I, I'm sure there has been. Um, okay. They're actually probably the most famous trackables are the couple that have been to the International Space Station, actually. What? Um, yeah, so there was, there was a space tourist, a guy named Richard Garriott, who was very famous for being a, a video game developer. And eventually he went up to the International Space Station as a space tourist, and he was also a geocacher. And so he actually placed a geocache on the International Space Station, and he uh, left a trackable on there as well that stayed for a couple of years, but then eventually was brought back down to Earth. But the geocache is still there. It's only been found one time by one of the NASA astronauts there's a geocache uh, on the International Space Station. There are tr two trackables that have been up and back. And there is actually the, uh, the Mars Perseverance rover. Yeah. You yep. may remember that. Yep. There is a trackable code on the Mars Perseverance rover, um, wow. which is super cool. There's a, if people are interested, they could read more. We did a blog about it uh, a couple of years ago when all this happened, but there's a, a very, very smart guy who is a geocacher who works for NASA, and he got in touch with us and was interested in making the Mars rover. He was going to be part of the team that was doing some work on that project. 
He thought it would be cool if they could integrate geocaching into the project. Eventually, we were able to do that. And so there, there is a, a trackable code on the Mars rover, which is super cool. That is amazing. Yeah. And I hope an alien finds it and logs it. That would be so cool. <laughs> if I notice I'm out camping, I'm out RVing or hiking or doing my exploring, and there doesn't seem to be any caches in the area, in a nutshell, kind of what are the, right. can I start one as a newbie or kind of what are, what are the rules about starting a cache if you see there isn't one? So, yeah, so a couple of things to keep in mind in a situation like that. Um, one is that we, we do suggest that people find 20 or so geocaches before they hide their first one so that they can get an idea for what do they like about, about geocaches and what do they want to try to put into their own geocache that maybe is informed by what they have found. If you're traveling, one of the things to remember is that uh, when a person places a geocache, they are agreeing to maintain that geocache. And so if you're going to a place that you don't think you'll be coming back to again, then putting a geocache there probably isn't the best idea because it's Makes going sense. to it's going to need some sort of maintenance. Um, so unless you can find a local person that can help you take care of it, um, it's it's usually best to place a geocache near where you where you live. Is there anything new to share or that you can share about kind of the future of geocaching, the direction geocaching is going, or mm -hmm. any new I don't know anything new that you could share about the future of it? Well, probably the, the newest thing, and, and this is, you know, I think certainly of interest to travelers and people who are RVing and what have you, is that we do have an app called Adventure Lab. And uh, Adventure Lab kind of takes the principles of geocaching in terms of the exploration and the discovery and the adventure aspect of the game, but there is no physical container with Adventure Lab. So uh, if you download the Adventure Lab app, uh, it uses the same login information as your geocaching account. Um, but it will take you to, um, you know, just examples for here in Seattle. Um, it'll, it'll take you to places like uh, Pike Place or University of Washington, or, you know, there's dozens of them around the city. Um, and, and, and they're usually five locations. And when you go, when you use the app to travel to a location, uh, when you get there, usually it's just asking you for, I don't know, maybe you'll get to a sculpture or a plaque of some sort and it'll say, okay, what is the, I'm just trying to think of an example of one that I've done recently, but one's not coming to mind. But basically you're looking for a code word of some sort that you would input into the app. And then once you put in the right word or number or whatever, it'll say you say, found it. You found it, and so yep. you get you get one find for your for your for your geocaching account. So, Adventure Lab is is kind of our attempt to, again, just kind of expand the opportunities for discovery and an adventure. Maybe take you to places where a physical geocache might not be as possible. So, for instance, the Seattle Center. There are geocaches around there, but sometimes in urban environments, it can be more difficult to place something, or there might be locations where uh, the land managers don't want there to be a physical geocache, but they're okay with there being a, a more virtual experience, a, a non-physical experience with the Adventure Lab app. So I've got listeners, they're all listening, they're and now they're like, I'm intrigued. How do I get started? What does it cost? What do I need to do? What do I? Yeah. So yeah. So for geocaching, 
uh, probably the easiest thing to do is just download the geocaching app. So for iPhone and Android, it's super easy. It's free to download, free to start an account. Yeah, you can have a whole lot of fun just with a free account and totally cool. And if you do want to get a premium membership, those are $30 a year. That opens up more features on the app and the website, extra search capabilities, things of that nature. It opens up premium member only caches. So those are ones where the cache owner has designated a, it as premium member only. We, we just recommend people download it, get started, see if you like it. We think you will. But Do I need to bring uh, a pen? Do I need to bring trinkets or is that not even? You definitely want to bring a pen or a pencil to because not all geocaches have them in the container. Some do, especially some of the bigger ones, but it's always good to be equipped with a pen or a pencil or something like that. And yeah, if you if if you think you're going to be going after some bigger geocaches that that have room for trinkets and trading those is something you think you might enjoy, totally do that. I mean, that's something that 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 we certainly do. My wife and I, when we're out geocaching, is is uh, uh, she's a huge collector of Happy Meal toys, so she's always that's got wonderful. She's, got, she's always got a couple of those extra that that she can carry along uh, carry along with her, and and if she sees something cool, then she might trade. So. Yeah, that's that's a fun thing to be able to do while you're out cashing. Any parting words that you would like to share? I'm very envious of, of folks that are out in their RVs and, and traveling the country and the world. And geocaching is such a cool place to learn about new locations that you might not have known about or to revisit places that you've already been before. So I, I think it's such a, a cool add-on to those kinds of trips. And then if people want to follow along on you and your wife's adventures, can they find you on Insta? Well, obviously they can follow geocaching on Instagram or, right. or Facebook or any of the socials, but what about if they want to follow your adventures? Yeah. So my, my username on geocaching is rock chalk. So if you go to geo rock chalk, that is my Instagram handle. And I do often share pictures when I'm out geocaching. Well, Chris, thank you so much again for taking the time out of your busy day to speak with me here today. It was a real pleasure to talk to you, Cashing. Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate the invitation. Thanks so much. Thank you. In our next episode, in two weeks, summer will have arrived here in the Pacific Northwest as we find ourselves around the bend after the 4th of July. It may seem like an odd time to chat about ski-in, ski-out winter camping, but I've got a great interview with Meg of Infinity Cycling in Leavenworth, Washington, as she shares all about RV winter camping in Lot F at Stevens Pass. In the meantime, please be sure to share with your friends and family about this podcast and head over to Apple, Spotify, or Amazon Podcasts and leave this show a rating and a review. If you have not yet subscribed to the show, please do so, so that way you'll never miss an episode. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like me to discuss, please contact me at rv.out.west at gmail.com. Now, get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon. Thanks so much for listening to RV Out West. Join us again in two weeks with our next episode. Please like and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you choose to get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And I sure would appreciate if you left a rating or a review of the show. Special thanks to Scott Holmes Music for providing the intro song, We Are One. RV Out West can be found on Instagram and Facebook where you can interact with us and follow along on our RV adventures around the Pacific Northwest. So get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon.